At Urban Farm Podcast, we are all about education, and April is Foliar Feeding Month. Have you heard of it? It is a super simple application of spraying liquid organic fertilizer on your trees and garden plants. The leaves, branches, and trunks are incredible at absorbing nutrients. And if your soil isn't great or your pH is off, foliar feeding is a quick and long-lasting fix to get your plants the nutrients they need. Want to learn more? Join us for our free online webinar on how to apply this amazing process to your gardens and fruit trees. Visit urbanfarm.org to sign up. That's urbanfarm.org. My favorite plant to grow in my yard is the fruit tree because you plant it once and you get fruit for decades. If you have ever been curious on the best ways to be successful in growing fruit trees, today is your lucky day. Why? Because my team and I have compiled our best interviews and videos in one place to assist you in growing your own toe-tingling peaches and awesome apples right out your front or back door. Plus, as an added bonus, we've included an in-depth guide to successfully growing fruit trees in your yard. To get access to this information, it's free by the way, just go to urbanorchard.org or text FRUIT to 33444. That's urbanorchard.org or text FRUIT to 33444. You're listening to the Urban Farm Podcast, your partner in the Grow Your Own Food revolution. Whether you've just been introduced to urban farming or you're a lifelong advocate, we're sure you'll leave feeling more informed, equipped, and empowered to dig deeper into the soil of your local food economy. With you every step of the way, here's your host, Greg Peterson. Today on the Urban Farm Podcast, we have Sarah Hyland of Grapevine Local Food Marketing to talk about her experience with marketing local farms. Sarah spent the last 17 years in the marketing industry, working with clients across diverse industries. As her values evolved, her career in marketing became dispiriting until she realized she could use her marketing skills for something that she felt really good about, good food. Sarah founded Grapevine Local Food Marketing in 2016 to help small farms, local farm producers, and other small food businesses. In August, Katie Horst joined the Grapevine team, and together Sarah and Katie provide websites, logos, Facebook marketing, email newsletters, and other marketing services to clients in Indiana and beyond. When Sarah's not working on marketing projects, she's usually growing food, buying food, cooking food, photographing food, or eating food. Sarah also enjoys helping people develop an appreciation for real food through education and recipes, and she's a founding member and board president of her local food council, the NWI Food Council. Welcome to the show today, Sarah. Hi, Greg. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So I shared a bit about you. Can you fill in the blanks for us and share more about the path you took to get where you're at now? Sure. In my previous marketing career, I did a lot of work for a company that made this food product, um, and this goes back a a few years. And I was initially really excited about this food product. I thought it was really neat and was really proud to be part of marketing it. And then over the years, as my values around food changed, um, I came to feel a lot differently about it. <laughs> it was something I didn't buy anymore. I didn't feel good about it. I didn't uh-huh. really want to have any part of it. Right. Uh, going back a, a few years, I was raised with a pretty 
solid connection to real food. And, you know, as I got older, lost my way. And uh-huh. and then a few years ago in my mid-30s, I started um, thinking more about what I was eating and, and, you know, wanting to be healthier and wondering where the extra weight was coming from and that sort of thing. And that led me to eating more whole food and starting to avoid, you know, processed food, including um, veggie burgers, which oh, had yeah. been a staple in our house. Right. Well, yeah, and that's <laughs> and, that's, uh, that's one of the things you think you're doing good on because you're eating veggie burgers. Right. Right. So, I think on some level, I always knew it wasn't right. I mean, I know that there that is common misconception that they are healthy. And of course, there are some good ones, but most of the ones in the grocery store aren't so good. Right. <laughs> I think I knew better all along because I, I was raised vegetarian, but I was never raised eating fake meat products uh-huh. or processed foods. So um, on some level, I knew and I knew what whole food and what real food was, but yeah. I just sort of you know, life got busy and veggie burgers were easy. So, <laughs> so would you share for our listeners that Sorry. don't know what we're talking about here is like, why are they not good? Can you kind of fill us in on that? Yeah. Um, I, again, I think it depends on the brand and I do sometimes buy Amy's veggie burgers now and they have all food in them, like, you know, rice and mushrooms and whatever. Uh-huh. But a lot of like the morning star type products um, and things that I was eating were, just heavily processed parts, soy stuff, and 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 I, people have different feelings about soy. I don't like it that much anymore. Right. Um, but there are a lot of other sort of mystery ingredients in there, and they're just heavily processed, and there's not much actual, you know, whole unadulterated food that goes yeah. into them. So, you know, I started eating those, and we were eating a lot of, you know, tater tots and, like, frozen french fries and yeah. stuff like that. And so... During the course of this change, as I started, you know, deciding to avoid the processed food and the veggie burgers, I had also started doing strength training, and I had become sort of protein obsessed. Uh (laughs) Yeah. And the strength training was good. I still do that. Um, But during that process, because of my protein obsession, I decided to start eating meat, and I started buying pastured meat from a local farm. Uh Uh-huh. And I'm not protein obsessed anymore, but I still buy meat from that farm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that farm is actually central to how Grapevine came about. So I had always assumed that, you know, since I was raised vegetarian, I'd always been vegetarian. I thought, well, one day I'll get married and have kids and maybe I'll find a, a good farm, you know, that raises animals in a way I feel good about that I'll buy, you know, local meat for my family. But right. I married a vegetarian. So. Oh, interesting. <laughs> so then I had no, you know, so I had no reason to do that. But the, the strength training is really what spurred it on. So discovering that farm was really central to Grapevine. So when I started exploring the idea of eating meat, I had I looked a lot. You know, I researched online. I was looking for a farm that, you know, that I would feel good about buying meat from. And I had a really hard time finding a place. And and then I accidentally discovered this little farm shop that was actually only like five minutes from my house. So <laughs> it was, yeah, and it was there all along. It had been there for 10 years, wow. but it was just a really well-kept secret. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so I really loved what they were doing. And, you know, I started shopping there every week. I became friends with them and started encouraging them to make a Facebook page so other people could find out about them. And yeah, and so then eventually I started helping them with Facebook. And that was the part that, you know, things got really interesting because, you know, we spent very little money on advertising and we were able to start bringing in new customers right away to the shop. And at the time they had 
very slow traffic. Uh (laughs) And so it happened pretty quickly, and their sales tripled over the course of the year, and it felt just really good to do that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's really exciting. And to be, you know, connecting people who raise good food with people who want who want good food and, you know, helping both of them thrive. That was, that was really exciting. So, and at the time I you know was still working at my old marketing agency and I had been working on starting another business venture, which is where I had planned, you know, to leave the marketing agency and go into this other business once it took off. And that was um, to bring a year round indoor market to Northwest Indiana. Oh, nice. And yeah, I was, really excited about it, had put a lot of time and energy and, and creative, you know, energy into it. And I ran into a number of obstacles. Uh, the property fell through and I was pretty depressed <laughs> and I knew I didn't want to continue my current career path at the time working at the marketing agency. And mm-hmm. I knew I wanted to do something with food. So at first I, I wasn't sure if it made any sense to kind of pursue this tiny niche, but I had this idea about, you know, doing marketing just for local food. And I thought, well, you know, that would be really fun. I could do what I just did for this farm, but I don't know if there are enough farms. And like, is it it really a business idea? Right. But I, you know, went ahead and pursued it and it's working out. And it turns out there are, you know, a lot of, you know, businesses that do end up, you know, fitting that that niche just in our area. So, yeah, yeah. And you don't have to stay in your area, I wouldn't guess, with the services that you offer. Yeah, absolutely. So I I just talked to a, a prospect yesterday in New York and have have talked to a couple others outside the area. Right now, all of our clients are in the Northwest Indiana or Chicago area. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I look forward to being able to sort of expand expand out from that and to be able to hopefully travel a little bit more and deduct it on my taxes. <laughs> oh yeah, there you go. There you go. <laughs> yeah. Well, I know for people people like me, uh, you know, I've been in technology, but I'm not really, I don't really care for it. I'd rather be out teaching people how to grow their own food or digging in the dirt. So, you know, the, right. the services <laughs> that you offer could be really valuable for not just farmers, but people that are in the food industry. Yes. Right. Yeah, definitely. And and not all of our clients are farmers. So we have sort of a hard time, you know, trying to describe that. And on our website, we give this sort of bullet list that's like, you know, cheesemakers, um, you know, butchers, retailers, yeah. health food stores, you know, etc. We have one client now who makes smoothies and they chop up local ingredients and freeze them in these ready-made smoothie packets. They're, oh, you know, ready nice. to blend. So they're like all these things that, you know, all these different different kinds of businesses that are connected in, in local food. So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, I, uh, I a few years ago, I developed a model for a local food system. And really, only one part of the seven parts of my local food system model is about growing food. The rest are seeds and processing food and, uh, right. you know, local culture and you know, so on and so on. So there is so much more to this notion of getting food to our plate than just growing it. Yeah, absolutely. There are a lot of different components there. So what is, what is it that Grapevine offers? We call it cost effective marketing for small, small farms and food producers. Mm -hmm. And so that varies from client to client. For for a lot of them, it's um, Facebook advertising. For some, it's websites, um, email blasts, print brochures, 
magazine advertising. Mm -hmm. But Facebook has been really a central component um, for a lot of clients, especially because we use it as more than just a a social social media platform, and we really um, turn it around and use it for advertising. Mm -hmm. So we use it to reach people who aren't already fans of the page. (laughs) And that's that's where the magic happens, is when you reach out beyond people who already know that you exist. Right. So for those of us that are in the business of food, what are some tips for improving our uh, our reach or marketing? Yeah, uh, one is just that people are already looking for local food and good food. So um, one thing is to make it easy for the people who are already looking to find you. <laughs> yeah. So um, that can be through directories like local harvest org, which is one that you know comes up a lot in searches. Mm-hmm. So any of those free directories that you can add yourself to, and then you can also make it easy for people to find you by making sure your website is easy to find in Google. So there are a lot of different pieces to that one, but you know one of the biggest things is just you know adding enough text to your website that oh, yeah. talks about what you do and where you are, <laughs> that right. kind of thing. I had a call yesterday from Yelp. They wanted me to update my. Ah. Uh, you know, update my yeah. listing with them. And they pointed me to the analytics page of that, which showed a fair amount of traffic coming from Yelp. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yelp and, and TripAdvisor, and there are a lot of those different mm-hmm. um, different directories. Happy Cow for vegetarian stuff. <laughs> oh, really? I didn't so. know about that one. Happy Cow. Oh, yeah. Happy Cow. Yeah, and that's one that people, I think, especially use like when they're traveling and, uh-huh. you know, to, to see what's what's in the area. So. <laughs> I wouldn't have guessed that with the cow in the title of it, but. <laughs> yeah. What other kind of resources do you have out there like that for us that are travelers or maybe not so much travelers? Well, I use Google a lot when I travel. Mm-hmm. I use Google and, and Yelp to find um, food because that's always a, a, a key thing that I start planning sometimes even before I think about where I'm going to stay in a new place. Oh, right. <laughs> think about what I'm going to eat in that place. Yeah. And I think there are a lot of different local directories too, and so that's where it changes a little bit by region. But usually you know, by Googling, you'll discover what that local directory is or that, that local regional website um, because some are just more popular in, in, yeah. in different areas. So I've recently chosen to eat a plant-based diet. I'm trying an experiment. And what I'm seeing in this conversation is that as we get more selective about the foods that we are eating, it it becomes a planning piece as, you know, First of all, in our neighborhoods, where do we shop at? And even when we travel, like you mentioned. So what tips do you have for our listeners about, you know, finding great food out there? Yeah, I think asking questions is probably one of the big tips because, Mm -hmm. you know, as it's become more popular, um, you know, local food and farm-to-table cuisine have become more popular. Mm -hmm. And as people have begun thinking more about what they eat, so one is asking questions at, at um, places like, you know, farm-to-table restaurants when you go to a new one. Of course, that, that was in the news a bit, you know, a few months ago about the, the fraud that goes on, but, you know, knowingly or unknowingly where restaurants, you know, represent themselves mm. as farm-to-table and aren't so much. Didn't see that. So That's... one is, yeah, asking specific questions, you know, <laughs> where is this farm? Is it this, you know, such and such 
family farm on your menu. Is that still where your chicken comes from? That kind of thing. Right. Um, because I think it can be really easy to just sort of take it all at face value. <laughs> yeah. And then the other one is to ask questions, you know, on a, on a different scale, you know, with food products when you're traveling and you're buying those nut bars or whatever at the mm-hmm. airport thinking, you know, looking for the healthy option, but, you know, looking at the ingredients and seeing what's really in them. I bring a lot of my own food when I travel. Um, yeah. And that's, I've tr- I think I sometimes people, too. yeah, and people think, oh, well, that's crazy. You're just obsessed. What a, what, that must be such a pain. You know, your lifestyle, why would you, why would you put all that effort into food? But I mean, first, it doesn't feel like a pain. Yeah. <laughs> first of all, when you get used to it, it's just, what you, what I want to eat, and and second of all, you know what's really what could be more important than that in the grand scheme of things. You know, if, you, if your family's healthy and you're happy and you have a roof over your head, okay, then food is really of all the things you could spend time or money on. Yeah, <laughs> food has a pretty big impact. You need <laughs> yeah, it for survival, and yeah. <laughs> you know it, it really affects your health and well-being. So if you're going to put a little time and money into something, why not make it food? <laughs> Yeah, so I'm going to ask you back a question that you you said people ask you. Why would you put all that time and effort into food? Why is that important? Well, I think it just, it wasn't even a conscious decision that I decided, you know, I'm going to start being obsessive about what I eat. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I think that's how I looked at it. I had have an aunt that when I was younger, she always ate, um, you know, what seemed to me a very strict diet and she's essentially vegan and you know just pretty restrictive Uh and I always thought boy that must be so difficult and you know doesn't she want Oreos and (laughs) now I sort of like her yeah (laughs) yeah by the way Oreos Oreos are vegan are vegan yeah I heard that (laughs) recently (laughs) yeah I know we have a lot of vegan friends and (laughs) yeah but it's one of those things that you keep calling a food product right Right. Yeah. Can you right. say more about that? Yeah. Those are the kinds of things that she wouldn't eat. You know, the food products where you look at the ingredients and there are a lot of ingredients, not necessarily foods that go into it. Right. So, you know, those are the kinds of things that I that I don't eat now. I do eat Oreos sometimes, but mostly because I just don't even have a taste for them and I don't want them anymore. Right. And, you know, going back to that whole idea of why I would put time into it or, you know, people being amazed at it that I would put that effort into it. It doesn't even take a lot of effort once you get in the habit for one. And for two, once you get used to eating real food, that's really what you have a taste for. And so where I thought my aunt was just, you know, really restrictive and and crazy, I'm kind of that way too now, except I realize it's not crazy. It's just the normal sort of way of life. That's (laughs) what I want. When, When I wake up in the morning, sometimes I want Brussels sprouts and bacon for breakfast. And if that's what I want, that's what I have. (laughs) Sometimes I want pumpkin pie and I make a pumpkin pie. So So what is real food? In my book, um, and I know it's a little bit different for, for everybody, you know, it's whole fruits and vegetables that you buy fresh sometimes, you know, frozen if needed. It's, you know, grains, which, yeah, they're a little bit processed. Mm -hmm. You know, I eat a lot of oats. Oats technically are processed, but they're not as heavily processed as, say, you know, snack chips or Mm -hmm. the granola bars at the grocery store or something like that. Um, The rule of thumb I kind of go to, my my dad, like I said, I, I had, you know, I was raised with a pretty solid base in this stuff. You know, I just 
eventually forgot it and then had to come back to it. But yeah. my dad would always say, um, like we had our upstairs neighbor always had like, the best junk food. She was, you know, my best friend. She had so much neat stuff at her house, Cheetos and cheese spread and all kinds of cookies. Mm-hmm. And so I would ask for that stuff at the grocery store yeah. and my dad would just look at it and say very matter of factly, that's not food. <laughs> and so oh, nice. that, that voice is always still in my head. And I've said that to my son who actually a few years ago asked for cheese whiz, the very thing that I remember asking for at the grocery right? store. <laughs> and, and I just looked at him and I was, you know, totally channeling my dad. And I said, that's not food. <laughs> Why would we get that? It's not food. Nice. So, <laughs> yeah. Nice. So I'm going to shift a little bit on you and I want you to, uh, there's a couple of questions here in your question section that you gave me, and I'd kind of like to explore them a little bit. And one of them is how amazing things happen when you just sort of go for it. Yeah. So I I still feel like I wake up and like pinch myself, you mm-hmm. know, wondering if this is, if, if my current life is really happening or yeah. I feel so good about it. But um, and it's just such a dramatic change from, you know, where I was um, actually a year ago. Uh-huh. So I went from feeling, you know, trapped in a job that I had come to hate for a lot of different reasons mm-hmm. to being able to make a living, you know, doing something that feels good. Um, and at the same time have had these, you know, really unexpected experiences that again, a year ago, I wouldn't have even imagined would be happening. Uh-huh. <laughs> But I had the opportunity to um, work alongside Will Allen for a day this summer. Um, wow. When I was, um, yeah, it was a really, really exciting experience. And that actually came through the Northwest Indiana Food Council. Mm-hmm. So we volunteered to help with construction at this um, urban farm here in Gary, Indiana called Faith Farm. And they were um, constructing hoop houses and putting in garden beds. And I, worked on that for, for a couple of days. And one day got to work alongside Will Allen, who showed me, you know, one-on-one how to hand shape the beds and, wow. you know, all, it just, it was a really cool experience. Just meeting him to begin with was, yeah. was a really cool experience, but yeah. Um, and then I also got to go on this week long field trip this summer that was um, funded by the USDA Beginning Farmer Rancher Development Grant, uh-huh. um, as well as the Purdue Extension. And we made a dozen stops um, all over Vermont and Maine. We got to see lots of amazing farms. We got to meet Elliot Coleman. <laughs> wow. Yeah, yeah. So that was, that was a really, really cool experience as well. So what happened... Because I, I had an experience like this in the late 1990s where I was, you know, I was running a company. I've been self-employed since I was 15 and I was running this company and it no longer supported my heart. It didn't support who I was in the world. So I had to make a decision. What happened for you that you went from being trapped in a job? Like what was that spark that happened to now? I, I mean, I can hear the smile on your face. As we're talking, yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I get that. I get that your smile kind of gets sore some days because you're so happy doing what you're doing. <laughs> that's what I. That's, that's what awesome. I hear in your voice. So, how did you go from there to here? Yeah, um, I wonder about that sometimes, and I often don't know exactly 
that there is a specific spark. I sometimes can't put my finger on that specific thing. I know, and for my experience, I think it was a part of a much bigger overall transition and, and period of personal growth. And I spent the first 30 plus 32 years of my life with severe anxiety and depression. Mm. And somehow, I still don't know how, <laughs> overcame those things in my mid-30s, just when I basically had completely given up. Like, obviously, after 30 years of being stuck with something, it's not going to change. <laughs> right. And so I think that a lot of it had to do with finally shedding that, you know, being able to let to, to move on from that period of my life. And that was a, a whole lot of tiny changes, I think, that stacked up. And mm-hmm. I think food was actually a part of that as well yeah. that allowed me to finally break free from that. And then once I, you know, broke free from, from the anxiety and depression, it was like this chain reaction of, you know, I think growing much faster, you know, personally yeah. and a whole lot more little changes that then added up. And part of it was um, marrying my husband who, We'll be celebrating our 10-year anniversary this year. Wow, congratulations. Um, Thank you. (laughs) But I think he was a big part of it because he really um, supported my personal growth and, and, you know, helped me to move past some of those things. And then there were just a whole lot of other small decisions that somehow added up to, you know, getting closer to discovering my purpose and, you know, figuring out what I really wanted to do with my life. (laughs) So, yeah. Nice. Nice. So can you talk about a time you failed, how you overcame that failure and what you might have learned from it? Yeah, I think my biggest failure in a lot of ways feels like um, not leaving that com- that company that I where I worked before, you know, staying there for 17 years. Of course, I did eventually leave, you know, this year, yeah. but um, not leaving sooner, you know, spending so much time there. Uh, I was there for 17 years. You know, I helped build the company. I ran more than, you know, half the work for a number of years. I cultivated the client relationships, built the new service lines. You know, we grew exponentially. And at some point I realized, you know, I had put, poured my heart and soul into this huge successful thing. And not only did I not own any part of it, but I wasn't sure I even liked it, yeah. liked what it had become, yeah. <laughs> you know. And so in some ways I, I felt like there was a, a failure there and not leaving sooner and mm. not freeing myself of that sooner. But at the same time, I don't regret it. You know, I see that that whole experience as a blessing that contributed to who I am now. Yeah. And I think I didn't leave sooner because I wasn't ready sooner. (laughs) So, but, and now, you know, I feel like, yeah, I am ready. I did leave and I'll build something even better this time. And so I'm really grateful to be able to, to do what I'm, what I'm doing now. And I guess that's the biggest thing, right? You know, learning from your, from your failures and, and, being able to um, to turn them into something better. And I feel like that's the path I'm on now. So I feel really good about that. And then, yeah, that was just, you know, overcoming it with a, with a lot of little, little steps. <laughs> right. I like to remind myself and the people around me that we do the best that we can with the information that we have right now. Exactly. You know? Yeah. So, we say that a lot in this house too. <laughs> yeah. You know, for 17 years, yeah. you were doing the best you could learning a lot. You know, I spent 20 years in technology, running technology companies. And, you know, it got to a point where eh, it doesn't work anymore. And yeah. I look yeah. back on that 20 year period earlier in life. And I learned so much that I now use in my life today and running my current, you know, adventure. 
Yeah. So, so what do you consider your biggest success? My biggest success, I think, was really that initial marketing work I did with that first farm before I launched Grapevine. Mm. You know, I was still at the old agency because it was, you know, it was so amazing to see the impact that my professional skills could have in the right context and, you know, so much more exciting seeing my work make a measurable dis, you know, difference for this small family farm versus the kind of work that I had been doing you know, with my skills. And so it meant that they could keep doing what they love and what they want to do. Um, it meant that you know, more people in our area got to eat healthy food because they got to discover this farm. And then it was really the thing that opened my eyes to the idea that I could use my marketing expertise to do something meaningful. And then, you know, I also counted as a big, big success because it's, you know, really the thing that led me to launching Grapevine and, and that was a big step in, you know, in uh, the, the path that I'm on now. So yeah. so what drives you? Food. <laughs> Good food? Good food. Yeah. yeah, it's so central. I mean, obviously, you know, literally, yes how I, you know, fuel my body and keep functioning every day, but it's so central to so many aspects of life, you know, to building community, to personal health and, you know, happiness and well-being, emotional well-being, I think, as well as, you know, physical. And so being able to be connected to food in lots of different ways, you know, through the Food Council, through Grapevine, and I'm also working on a personal project to um, help other people get closer to good food nice. <laughs> and so yeah good food <laughs> great so i'm all about education and i have to know is there a book that's been influential for you in this process in your life there have been a couple i really enjoyed the united states of arugula which is actually just sort of a really entertaining great read that oh. also gives very brief biographies of a lot of players in the local food scene and it sort of tells the recent history of food and food culture in, in this country. And I think a lot of people probably wouldn't look at that as like an inspirational book necessarily. Mm -hmm. It's more of, you know, sort of fun read. But in looking, in reading those those personal biographies of all those different players, there was something sort of inspirational about that for me and being able to envision my future changing because I was reading it, you know, mm, about a year ago when I, right. I couldn't figure out how I could be on a different path. And, you know, reading about all these people who took a lot of them didn't get into food until they were in their 30s and 40s, you know, despite, you know, childhood, um, mm. you know, connections and that kind of thing. I'm also reading um, The Good Food Revolution right now by Will Allen, which is of oh, course, yes. really inspiring. Yep. Yeah. And then we also have a great book about Indiana food here that's um, called Food for Thought and Indiana Harvest and a coffee table book that tells the stories of dozens of farmers and activists and chefs and others involved in food around Indiana. And it's got lots of great photos. And, and so that's a favorite, too. Nice, 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 nice. So what one final piece of advice do you have for our listeners? Whatever it is you're waiting to do or dreaming about doing or <laughs> and I think this could apply to you know people all, all kinds of people in, in yeah. all different industries and, and walks of life but mm -hmm. whatever that thing is <laughs> that you're thinking about that distant dream you know just go do it now yeah. <laughs> or take some steps you know towards it it's, it's little steps that get you there and if your dream you know needs marketing call me <laughs> <laughs> especially if you live in Arizona um, Florida, California, there are lots uh, of places I'd really like to, to visit. Oh, yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly. 
<laughs> well, thank you so much for joining us on the show and sharing your, your experience with us today, Sarah. It has been a treat getting to chat with you. Thank you, Greg. It's been awesome. Absolutely. So how can our listeners find you? They can visit grapevinelocalmarketing.com mm-hmm. or they can search Grapevine Local Food Marketing on Facebook. Okay. Oh, perfect, perfect, perfect. So you can also find show notes from today's podcast at urbanfarm.org backslash Sarah Smiles. That's S-A-R-A-H-S-M-I-L-E-S. Well, that's it for today. Thanks for joining us on the Urban Farm Podcast. My favorite plant to grow in my yard is the fruit tree because you plant it once and you get fruit for decades. If you have ever been curious on the best ways to be successful in growing fruit trees, today is your lucky day. Why? Because my team and I have compiled our best interviews and videos in one place to assist you in growing your own toe-tingling peaches and awesome apples right out your front or back door. Plus, as an added bonus, we've included an in-depth guide to successfully growing fruit trees in your yard. To get access to this information, It's free, by the way. Just go to urbanorchard.org or text FRUIT to 33444. That's urbanorchard.org or text FRUIT to 33444. We hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Urban Farm Podcast. Remember to listen three days a week for tips, advice, and resources to help you on your journey with urban farming. You can find us on the web at urbanfarm.org or send us an email to podcast at urbanfarm.org. In the words of Vincent Van Gogh, great things are done by a series of small things brought together. Be encouraged that with each lesson learned and skill developed, you are one step closer in the direction of your dreams. One of the first things that many of us learn when we start to garden is how to water and fertilize the soil. But there is an exception to this rule, and it's called foliar feeding. You should foliar feed or water the leaves of your plant with liquid fertilizer when you want certain nutrients to be absorbed better. Not only are the leaves great at uptaking liquid fertilizer, if your soil isn't very good or your pH is off, foliar feeding can help your veggies and fruit trees quickly get the nutrients they need to thrive. If you're ready to start foliar feeding for maximum growth yields and quality, head on over to urbanfarm.org forward slash feed the leaves to see our selection of foliar feeding products. That's urbanfarm.org forward slash feed the leaves.